Thank you, Lord. Just such a sense of God at work. So many of you just hungry, desiring more of God. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be hungry. Even the physical uh, desire of hunger and thirst is actually something that's given to us by God. There are moments when we need to recognize that he's the one who satisfies. And even the rumbly tummy actually can turn us to God and say, Lord, you're the one who satisfies. You're the one who meets my needs. Just sense across the room, different people just, Lord, I'm hungry for more. And so we just pray in a moment as Ashley opens your word, as he brings truth by your spirit. Lord, just feed us. But may it not just be knowledge in our heads, but may it draw a response from our hearts and our lives. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. just want to say welcome. If you've come in during the worship, you're very welcome. Great to see you. Um, the news sheet is coming out each week, so hopefully you're, you're tracking and following that. I'm just conscious over the next couple of weeks for, for different ones. It is uh, half term. Whether you've got one week's half term or if you're involved with Lane's End, two weeks half term. Um, but I know there's some comings and goings. I've had different people saying to me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the church, I'm part of the church, but I'm away for a couple of Sundays and so on. It's all good. But I just want to encourage you um, to be blessed and have good times. Uh, we can meet each other more and more in these days. I want to encourage you. Uh, where you can, follow the guidelines, but do, do have each other in, in your homes, these groups of six or uh, two families and all those good things. But let's be meeting one another, encouraging one another. But I'm aware there'll be people coming, but there'll also be visitors here. So can I encourage you? We need to be welcoming to visitors, those who are first time, uh, those who are coming. They, they, there will be different visitors, I know, over the next few weeks. So let's, let's be ready to welcome them. Are we up for that? Yeah, well, some, one or two are. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, it would be good to do that. Just want to ask for your prayers for this afternoon. And in fact, I'd love to just lead us in prayer just for a moment. Um, we've got good links with, um, I always have to get my bearings right, sort of down the south coast that way with Littlehampton and with Worthing uh, as part of our Regions Beyond family of churches. And uh, the church at Worthing have really been through the mill one way or another uh, over the last uh, year or so. But the two things are happening today. One, they're opening a brand new building right in the middle of Worthing Town Centre. They've taken over a whole shopping mall uh, and redeveloped it. Um, but uh, also they, they lost their, their lead pastor, their lead elder. And this afternoon they are just placing a whole new team uh, into place, really. They're laying hands on them, praying for them. Uh, someone who will lead the team and, and uh, elders one of them is Rodney. You'll know Rodney very well, the lemon tree prophetic word that we often refer to that Rodney gave to us. But Rodney and uh, Pete and uh, Joel this afternoon, and they've asked me if I would, I would go over this afternoon and just join with them and represent us and be there in the... Uh, I don't know how we're laying on hands, whether we're wearing gloves or whether we're... I don't know what we're doing. But anyway, we're going to be there and we're going to be blessing and praying for them. So can I just invite you, let's pray for them as a church, because I... Um, Ashley brought a word um, earlier on, and uh, I just think this whole thing about restoring and, and renewal, uh, and what was that? Uh, the, the reforming, reforming. And I, there's something about their team. So Pete and Rodney were elders, 
the whole team was stepped down and then they're reforming again. And I just really feel that's a word I want to take to them. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've placed us into a family, a worldwide family. Lord, last week it was incredible to to sit and look at all those people from all over the world that even in our little family of churches we're, we're part of, to see people from north and south and east and west. Lord God, we thank you you've placed us into family. And we want to pray particularly today for uh, the church there at Worthing. Father, as they uh, go into this new building, it's a new season for them, a new time. And as this afternoon they, they set apart a, a team to help lead them. Father, we, we just pray. Lord, we pray for that, re, that renewing, that restoring, Lord, that, that setting apart again. Lord God, I, I just want to pray for each of those, those men whose ha- hands are laid on them. I want to pray for their, their marriages, their families. Father, I want to pray for them as a church, that you would bless them today. Build them, strengthen them, encourage them, and take them forward with purpose, Lord. Take them forward in the power of your name, that they would be such a witness there in Worthing. Lord God, I pray that people would be saved and added in the days and weeks to come. Lord, I pray they'd have the the joy and privilege of baptizing uh, people who are giving their lives to Christ. So Lord, we, we we just lift them before you. May this be a special day for them. Encourage them and bless them. And Lord, join our hearts in the days and weeks and months to come as we find, find how to, to be together and work together. So we pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Ashley, go for it. Morning. Good to be here again. Um, yeah, it's really, these are real special times we're in at the moment, and uh, I just so love being together with church family. Um, naturally, I'm an introvert, so for me to say this, this is, this, is a, this is a big thing, because actually the heart of God is that he brings people together. And whether you recharge yourself by uh, being alone or whether you recharge around people, the end goal is that we would always in some way come together and fellowship together. So these moments for me are so important, so special. And I just feel like God's building something among us. He's, he's building us towards something. Um, just in the prayer meeting this morning, I, I was just reflecting how we, we, we know we had this word about a new era coming. And, and we knew that it wouldn't be anything we'd seen before. And then the, the whole COVID hit and the world turns upside down and we go, this must be what the new era looks like, a world upside down. But I just felt that that was not the new era that God's talking about. And just as Mark was mentioning there, I think there is a new era for us to step into, but there is a reforming that must take place first. And this is why we've been on this series about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who is commissioned by God, so to speak, to come and form us together into the body of Christ. And so as we look forward to this new era coming, we must also look for a reformation to precede it. 
We must be looking for people's lives to be reformed into the image of God. We need to be looking for a church that is reforming into the biblical model. And at times it's going to be awkward, and and I don't do awkward well. I don't know how many people do awkward well, but no one really likes to be in an awkward situation. But we've got to get used to being awkward with one another at times because awkwardness brings vulnerability out. When we're awkward, it's because we are in that place of we're on the cusp, on the edge, almost on the cliff face of being vulnerable. And when we get to that awkwardness, we can either step off and be vulnerable or we can just shut it down and walk away. So I I believe that the Spirit is leading us into a, a time of awkwardness. A time where we will be feel like we're on the edge because he wants us to come into a time of vulnerability that we would know that it's only he who is going to be able to lead us through this. I'm just going to be speaking about and and, uh, going to bring some stuff out of the scripture verse today in 2 Corinthians. So if you if you have your Bibles or phones or whatever you have with you, you can turn with, with me to Second Corinthians three. And we'll go from verse twelve. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Lord Jesus, we just want to come before you now. and We just thank you that you have given us your Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just pray that as I speak today, these would be your truths and that you would do your work with your people today. We just pray that there would be a, a deposit of your anointing so that we may be people who are being transformed into your image more and more. So Lord Jesus, just bless us this day as we open your word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love these scripture verses. And today we're, we're looking at the spirit of the Lord. And this is one of the clearest passages we have in scripture that speaks to the divinity of of the Spirit. And so it's a great place to start when we start to look at the Spirit 
is to look at who he is. And this here, this, this scripture verse, and one of the things we've been doing through this series is gently leading us into understanding more and more the Spirit. And this here, the Apostle Paul, boldly proclaims that the Spirit is God. And it's important for us to have that foundation because if we don't believe that the Spirit is fully God, then we cannot enter into the fullness of what he has for us. Because that in some way implies that there's a limitation to what the Spirit can do. But we do not believe that. And I, I, I hope that you, none of you here would ever believe such a thing that the Holy Spirit is anything less than the absolute fullness of God. And Paul here is, is even using the word that would often be used to describe Jesus or Christ. And he uses the same word, Lord, and says, but I'm talking about the Spirit here. And we need to be careful that we don't think that Jesus can transform into the Spirit, or at some point the Spirit was Jesus or anything like that. No, this is not saying that there's a, a modular part of Jesus coming into Spirit or Spirit coming into Jesus. This is two separate persons in the one being of God. And so we start off with the foundation that the Spirit is the Lord. But this story that Paul starts bringing out in 2 Corinthians doesn't really make much sense unless you go back to the original story from where it came. So I want to take you back to, right back to Exodus. And we're going to go back to Exodus 34. We're going to read about the story that Paul is bringing out here. And to give you a bit of background to this, the Israelites have been in slavery for 400 years. They've been set free. They've, they've come out of slavery. They're, they're in the wilderness on the journey to the promised land. And in this moment, God is meeting with them. And before we get to verse 34, there has been a moment where God has spoken from the mountaintop and has declared out his Ten Commandments to the whole people of Israel so that every single individual heard the voice of the Lord. And then God tells Moses to come up so that he can write these laws on the tablets, stone tablets, for Moses to take back down. And the story goes on that as soon as Moses disappears, these people who had just finished hearing the voice of God speak to them are so quick to turn and make themselves a golden calf to worship. So Moses goes up on the mountain and he comes back down and he sees this golden calf that they've made. And in his anger, in his frustration, Moses throws the commandments on the ground and, and breaks the tablets. And so the story goes on that now Moses needs to go back again. And he needs to get new tablets of stone that God may write on them afresh. And so in the story, Moses then cuts out these stone tablets goes back up the mountaintop 
And God writes the Ten Commandments out on these new tablets of stone. And then Moses comes back down, and as he comes down, his face is shining with the glory of God. Now, I've always read this thinking that the, uh, the Israelites saw this shining of Moses' face and immediately they were terrified of Moses. I don't know if you've, you've read this and thinking that actually they didn't want to look at Moses because of this. But as I read through it again, it's not so much that they were afraid that his face was shining. They, they knew that there was something of a holiness of God about him. And then they knew that their hearts in themselves was not prepared for such a holy God, and so they would keep their distance from him. But they were not afraid of the shining of his face. And this is when I was growing up as a kid, this is what I thought it was. I thought they were so scared that he was shining. They thought that this was some kind of a, a, you know, an angel-type experience. This was a, a divine being almost, that Moses was so holy, so much other, that there needed to be a, man, this is, this is a holy man of God, I need to... Be wary of him, lest I be struck down or something. And growing up as a kid, I, I thought the people of Israel were terrified of Moses when he came down from the mountaintop. Terrified because of this glowing face. But as I read through it, I realized that it's not so much that they're afraid of his face shining. And in my childish mind, as I was, uh, the, the story was being told, and they say, and then Moses put a veil over his face so that you know, he would hide this, this shining. I thought he would put a veil over his face so that people wouldn't be afraid anymore. I thought that the glory was so great that if he put something over it, then the people would feel okay to approach Moses. And as I was reading this this week, I realized that that was not why Moses put a veil over his face. Moses came down, and let me read it from Yeah, let me read it from verse 29. 34 verse 29. When Moses came down from the mountain Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. You see, I had this concept as a kid that he put the veil on because they were afraid. But the story is that actually he came down first, invited them to come towards him, spoke to them first as he was still with the face shining, and then after that, put a veil on. So the question is, why put a veil on when the people are okay to come towards you now? What is the point of the veil now? Because it's not because they're afraid of you. We've just read that actually they came towards him. They were fine. So why was the veil 
put on Moses' face after. The story goes on. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So here's this strange thing that every time Moses goes into the temple, the veil gets removed. Every time he comes back out, the people see that he has no veil and the face is shining, and then he puts the veil on after that. What is going on here? Now, I don't know for you, but I'm reading this and I'm just thinking this seems a bit bizarre, this seems a bit strange. The people aren't concerned with Moses. In fact, they're, uh, now it seems like they're quite intrigued to why he glows. But each time, Moses puts a veil over his face. And it is only Moses that needs to do this. It is only Moses that has these encounters with God so that the glory shines such on him that his face begins to glow. Why is it that Moses puts a veil over his face? And the other question that comes to me is why is it only Moses that this happens to? Why wouldn't it happen to all the people of God? So as I was reading this and trying to link these things together, the thing that comes up often when you start to look at this is there's a difference between Moses and the people of Israel. There seems to be a a distinct difference between Moses' choice and the people of God's choice. You see, when Moses is there, there is this wholeheartedness that Moses has. He goes before God and it's as if when he takes a veil off, he's saying there is nothing now that stands between me and you, God. But no one else in the people of Israel have this. And as you read the story, you see that actually the people of Israel were brought out of slavery. They were brought into a degree of freedom, yet they didn't enter fully into the freedom that was offered to them. And the story goes on as you read through this, that for the rest of the time in the wilderness, there are many encounters or many times that is recorded that God calls these people a stiff-necked people. He calls them hard-hearted. And in fact, when you go along into Deuteronomy 29, Moses actually says, you have been prevented from seeing. You have been prevented from knowing the more of God. And if we look at that in Deuteronomy 29... It almost seems like they didn't have a choice. 
Moses says, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. And Moses goes on and says, Now don't, don't walk away from the commandments. But yet, how can they not walk away from the commandments when they haven't been given a heart to, to hear? A heart to learn, the eyes to see. And it's almost as if there is a withholding that the people can't fully enter into. And, and I would even say that this is not because God has prevented them from coming in, but because they've chosen to reject the very thing that God has put on offer to them. They have got a level of freedom and they're happy with that level of freedom. It's okay. So the question comes, why did Moses wear the veil? And I think the answer is simply this. Moses wore the veil to hide the fading glory of the first covenant. The veil was not to separate. It was to show that only in the presence of God does that glory remain. And as soon as he comes out, it starts to fade. And there is almost as if there is this pulling down of the veil so that it would be hidden from the people that this is a glory that will fade. Because the Old Testament, we know the law was not a law that brought life, but it brought death. It showed that we could not keep the commands of God. And Moses has a veil, not because he's trying to protect the people from uh, the scariness of a glowing face, and it's to show that actually, almost to hide that this is a fading glory. This is not the glory that God has promised. This is not the end of it. And so the veil that comes over Moses' face is a veil that says, this shall end. And Moses would put the veil over his face to hide the fading glory. You see, whenever Moses was before the people, he would come before them straight from the mountaintop or when he was in the tabernacle and he would come out and his face would be shining and he would speak to them out of that glory he had then. And as soon as he finished speaking, the veil goes over to, to, to hide the fading glory of the Old Testament. And this is a theme that Paul is picking up in 2 Corinthians. Now, why would the first commandments, why would the, sorry, why would the first testament fade? What is stopping it from coming into fullness? Why, since Moses had that moment of being encountering with God and the glory being there, why would it come to a, an end? Why would that deteriorate in its glory why would Moses need to hide the fading glory? The glory can only come in the presence of God. And the first covenant was one to show that actually we could never make it 
into the holies of holy. The first covenant came to show us that we will always be in the outer courts. We would never be able to make it in. And Moses would have this veil to hide that fading glory. But the veil was even more than that. You see, the veil also spoke of the veil that was over the hearts of the people. You see, the people beholding this glory that Moses had, they still could not enter in. There was still that divide, that that wall of hostility that prevented them from receiving this glory themselves. This veil kept them from the glory of God. And as you read through the Old Testament, what you notice time and time again is there is only moments that the Spirit comes in. There's only moments that the glory of God comes in. There's only moments that the people are in communion with God. There's only moments of it. Only moments. And it fades. We have Moses, who's a great prophet, Moses, and set up the priesthood and the glory that came there, and then it fades away until we get to Ezra, and they've even forgotten most of what they had ever been taught or told. We have the the glory of David and the kingdom of David as it comes in power, and then we see it, it fades, and it fades out, and it fades away. We have these moments where it comes back, where the glory of God seems to be there, but then it just fades again. Moses put this veil over to hide the fading of the first covenant. But the first covenant is not the last covenant. The first covenant is not the end. You see, the the hope that Moses always had and the the, the prophecy that Moses prophesied to the people is that there would become another that comes like me, another who's going to bring in a covenant, but this covenant won't fade. It will last forever. And the veil is over people's hearts because they cannot enter into the holies of holies. The veil is over not just the Jews, but the, the non-Jews, the Gentiles as well. Paul speaks about that later on in verse 4. But the good news is this. The good news is that the veil has been taken away through Christ. The veil of Moses that was hiding the fading glory of the covenant has now been removed because the glory of the new covenant never fades. The veil that was there to show that you cannot come into the holies of holies has been removed because now we are the temple of the living God. But the thing that I find that we need to make sure that we have hold of is that it is Christ that has given us the ability for the veil to be taken away, but it is the Spirit that actually does the work of taking the veil away. You see, Christ, it is through Christ that we now have ability to enter, but it is the Holy Spirit that was the one that tore the veil in part. And when we have this 
story of Jesus crucified and we hear that the temple curtain was torn in two, this was not so that we could enter. This was the Holy Spirit breaking out of the holies of holy. This was a tearing or part of the veil that had prevented us from entering because now the Holy Spirit was coming out to us. And no longer is there a veil that to hide this glory. We don't need this veil anymore. And Paul speaks about this. He says, What once had glory, the, new co- the first covenant, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. What is permanent will have glory. It is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that has made it possible. And it is the Spirit who has now made it actual that the veil has been removed. And then it says, we have this wonderful, wonderful verse where it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what's this freedom it's speaking about? It's speaking about freedom. The freedom it's speaking about is Jesus is staying. There is the presence of God that is permanent now. There is not a momentary that we come to a tabernacle and there is a glory that is there or we go to a mountaintop and have a bit of glory. Now it is permanent. And if there's anything I want you to hear today, it is the permanency of Jesus. It's the permanency of the Holy Spirit. That it does not fade. You see, the Old Testament, it went from glory fades to nothing because of the glory that comes in and it never ceases to increase. Freedom comes because the Spirit is here to stay. Freedom comes because the Spirit is here to stay. So the challenge is this then. If the glory does not fade, why is it that we grow cold? I'm not talking, I'm not talking at you. I'm, I'm talking to myself here. Why is it that I do not experience this glory to glory that is on offer? If this new covenant glory does not fade, then why do I not experience the fullness of the glory of God? And this is a serious question we must ask all of ourselves. Am I being transformed from one glory to another? Is my life changing into the image of God from one degree to another? That's a hard thing to answer. That's a hard thing to hear. Because the reality is, I don't experience that all the time.
But this is what's on offer. The offer is that we don't have to go to a place in time. We don't have to go to a mountaintop. We don't have to come to a church building to know the glory of God. Later on in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul actually speaks to say that we are now the temple. And the Apostle John speaks about that the, the Father and the Son. Jesus said that they now have made their home with us. So there's a permanent living God with us, and yet we still do not experience his glory to glory. But this is the hope we have. Paul says we have such a hope and we are very bold. Not like Moses with a veiled face. We can be bold to say, I know that actually this is not a fading glory. What I might have thought I had is not the end of it, but actually there is more for me to step into now. And just because you may not be at the place you hope to be, it doesn't mean that's it. It doesn't mean it fades out from it. Do you know what it means? It means right now you have an opportunity to step into another degree of glory. You have another opportunity to step into another degree of glory. And another. And another. And there will be times where we will wander, we will fall. We will come against tough times. But there is then an opportunity. Our hope is that actually this is not the end. The end is more glory. And this is this sanctification of God. It's not that we now, all of a sudden, as, as Greg, Greg would say, it's not that we are now sinless in all of our life, but that because of the glory of God, we now sin less. And this is a transformation from glory to glory, is that actually we go on in life and actually we will decrease in the error of our ways and increase in the righteousness of God. This is glory to glory. And this is what is on offer to us, that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if we're starting to see people like Jack experiencing the freedom of God, do you know what? The Spirit of God is here. But it's not just for Jack. It's for each and every one of us. We have an opportunity now to step into the next degree of glory that, has, that God has for us. We can do it as individuals and as must, we must do it as individuals because first and foremost, relationship with God is on an individual level. But as we do this one-to-one, make that heart choices of saying, I choose to enter into the freedom that you have won for me. No veil anymore is separating us so that now I may step into the new degree of glory you have for me. As we each individually do that, do you know what God will do with us as a church? He will step our whole church into the next degree of glory. And do you know what he'll do after that? He'll step the community into the next degree of glory. And after that, the island and who knows where. But it starts with the offer on our our doorstep right now. Is freedom is where the Spirit is. 
You see, we have freedom because the Spirit is staying. We have freedom because it is not fading. We have freedom to step into the next degree of glory because the Spirit has removed the veil. So my challenge is this. Will you step into the next degree of glory with me? Will you each and every one look at your lives, look where you're at, assess what does that look like for you? It would not be the same for everyone. I think there's a moment here. There's a moment for us to choose this freedom on offer. And for some people, maybe to be free from what other people think. It might be to be free from financial burdens. I feel that even now that there's a that God wants to do a, a work among us. Just for you, Sarah, just I feel God saying He's going to activate. There's an activation that's coming that's going to remove all anxiety. I feel that God's just just the anointing of God is going to activate you and it's going to displace anxiety. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now for Sarah. We just pray that this would be your word for her now. Just the activation of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Sarah right now. That there would be the stepping into the next degree of glory for her. Just for you, Peter, I just feel the word courageous. I feel God was saying that he's, he's setting you on a path where people are going to know you as a courageous Peter. And this next stepping in for you may be more difficult than you would hope for, but the glory to come is worth it. Just for you, Daniel. I think there's an anointing of leadership upon you. Not, not, not a forcefulness, but there's gentle strength in you. And I just, I just feel like God would say to you that he's calling you as a, as a leader to gather gather young people perhaps, and maybe it's years in the future, but I have the sense that the anointing of leadership is upon you.
I want to speak to your mum about that and weigh it and pray about that. Yeah, let's just finish in prayer now. Actually, is there another song you could sing? Yeah. I'll pray and then we'll, we'll finish with the worship song because part of this degree of glory to glory is that we give praise and worship as we go from glory to glory. And as we've been doing today, we've been reflecting upon what Christ has done for us in the healing he's brought us and the, the journey he's brought us on. And now we turn that back to praise. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that in these days ahead that we would have a boldness and a courage to step into the freedom that you have called us to, that we can step into the next degree of glory, that we can go on seeing the ever-increasing glory of the new covenant, not one that fades, not one that is hidden by a veil, but one that goes from glory to glory, from sanctification to sanctification, that knowing that where we are is not where we're going to be, that you are leading us on into a glorious future. And our hope is this, is that no matter where we're at today, no matter what we've done, no matter how we feel, our hope is that actually we have another step into glory to take. And I pray for the people right now, those people who are feeling burdened, come lift the burden so that they may take that next step into freedom, into more of the glory of God. And as we go forth in this week, may we walk day by day from glory to glory. May we walk day by day in the spirit of the God that has removed the veil for us. In Jesus' name, amen.